I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 24 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss the latest news about FA Cup TV rights in the USA, our thoughts on the El Clasico TV coverage from BN Sports, insights regarding USL's new TV and digital deals, plus much more, including questions from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik. Krishnaya, Kartik, how are you? I'm doing quite well, Chris. How about you? I'm doing good. Really, really well, thanks. So we've had a, a crazy uh, past week since our last uh, podcast. Lots of uh, big matches. We've had, uh, you mean, we've had semifinals of uh, big cup competitions. We've had uh, ooh, El Clasico and everything else. Lots of good stuff going on. But from your perspective, so what have you been watching this past week uh, that you want to share? Well, a lot. There's been a lot of football. I guess uh, starting with uh, uh, Juventus and, and Barcelona uh, in the, in the Champions League. That was uh, that was a uh, a good match to watch if you like um, good tactical football, defensive football. And there were opportunities for Juventus to actually get a goal on the counterattack. And uh, I, I thought it was uh, well presented by Fox. Well. Um, well documented how uh, they felt Barcelona, where Barcelona's flaws were uh, this season. Uh, the thing that we found, though, with Fox, and, and you keep making the suggestion about Fox Soccer Report, they are very obsessive about pushing whatever other product, soccer product they have in the pregame show. Now, they don't have much incentive to promote UEFA Champions League anymore, having lost the rights to um to uh, Turner Sports starting in 2018, as, as we've talked about. But that was uh, pretty apparent on that. So that was the um, that was Champions League. But then when we got to the weekend, there was uh, obviously a, a full day of um, Premier League and FA Cup and Bundesliga on, uh, on Saturday, also NWSL. I, I watched uh, from pregame, beginning of the pregame, to the, to the end of the broadcast, uh, the Orlando... Pride Washington Spirit game, Marta's debut with Orlando, 1-1 draw, really good game of football, but also a uh, great broadcast from Lifetime and, and crisp gra- graphics. They're kind of Johnny's on the spot as far as their analysis. I think um, there's a um, 
a comfort level growing probably between the audience and the lifetime broadcast. Uh, let, let, let's uh, talk a little bit, though, about Fox earlier in the day on the FA Cup semifinal, the Chelsea Spurs match. Uh, I thought they did a good job. That was on Fox over the air. Uh, very, uh, very crisp broadcast, good studio, pregame and postgame. But let me uh, mention, Chris, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Brad Friedel was in the studio. Now, he's a very good analyst. We see him uh, on uh, the studio for Champions League. We hear him in the booth for MLS often. He's sometimes in the booth for Champions League also with John Strong. But he is a former Spurs player. His final season as a Spurs player was uh, with Mauricio Pochettino as a manager. And it, and I don't know if Friedel has been asked to do this by Fox or if it's his natural reaction, but he came across as being very focused on the Spurs perspective, very biased, and then very defensive when they lost the match, uh, talking about uh, the, the fact that they don't have the money to spend the resources that everybody around them in the table does. We know that, right? They spend, uh, they, they have the least net spend of any team in the top six by, by a pretty healthy margin. I mean, actually, Chelsea's is, is pretty low too, but Chelsea's wage bill is much higher. Nowhere near the uh, wage bill or net spend of Man City, Man United, Arsenal, or Liverpool. So we, um, we understand that, and I think that that's, that's an accepted fact, but he's, um, he was very defensive because Hol Stu Holden and Warren Barton were basically saying, look, uh, uh, we've all fallen in love with Pochettino, everybody around English football, all the commentators, all the writers, but at some point he has to win a game like this, right? At some point Spurs have to lift a trophy, and that still hasn't happened. They can't get over the hump in, the, in these particular games, and I think the way Spurs were coming into this match, they had won seven in a row, uh, on the balance of the Premier League, uh, seven on the trot, and Chelsea had been wobbling, coming off that loss to Manchester United at Old Trafford, having lost to Palace at home, having struggled in the game against Manchester City, which they ended up winning at the bridge, but really uh, even match, if not City slightly better. There was a, a real feeling that this was Spurs' opportunity, and they didn't take it. So here's my question. Um, Fox has made a habit beginning with when they would bring in Pierce Morgan when Arsenal games were going on, right? Mm -hmm. And then continuing through uh, the 2013 Gold Cup when they made sure they brought in Mexican uh, commentators when Mexico was playing and generally when Mexico was losing so that they could they could beat up on, uh, on uh, Chepo, who was the manager at the time. And we've seen it through 2015, 2016, their, their emphasis on the U.S. and, and rah-rah USA in the Gold Cup in 2015 and 2016 – Confederate, uh, not Confederations Club, excuse me, Copa America. And now, uh, again, with the way Friedel was used in the studio on Saturday, is this just a Fox policy that they want to get someone that is um, tied to a club or they maybe even maybe even push Brad Friedel into a position where he's forced to be kind of the resident Spurs commentator for the day? I think it's one of those things where it's just uh, an easy grab for them. So, so for example... Um Brad Friedel, Spurs connection. Okay, let's, let's bring him in into the studio so maybe he can shine some light on Spurs that, say, um, I don't know, Stu Holden couldn't in terms of uh, just the background about the club or kind of working uh, closely with the club. So I, I think it's one of those things that it's just, um, you mean, a big match comes up. If it's Mexico, okay, they, they, they'll pull in, you mean, somebody who's who can talk about Mexico. Um, so I don't think it's that calculated. Um, but it is interesting, though, Kartik, because um, you look at... Chelsea and, and you got uh, Mario Melchiot, uh, Melchiot 
who's come on for uh, Fox Sports many, many times in the past. Usually Europa, Europa League coverage. He's done some commentating. Uh, they bring him into the studio now and again. Uh, he wasn't there. I mean, so so there is that Chelsea connection there too, where they could have brought in somebody local uh, to be on there. So I, I think it's more the Brad Friedel, just the, the connection to Spurs and bring him in. It's, it's an easy easy grab. Um, at the same time, though, to Kartik, um, Friedel is, well, was, he, he may still be, uh, an ambassador for Tottenham Hotspur. In that last season that he was with Spurs, uh, when he was the, the backup goalkeeper, uh, he was at that point the ambassador for Tottenham Hotspur oh, in, that, that's in the right. United we States. Actually, we actually did an interview. I conducted it for World Soccer Talk four, three or four years ago when he had that role. Yeah. I had forgotten that. Correct. Yeah. So, so, so the ambassador role to me is a little bit different, though, too, because you're working on, in the best interest of the club, trying to promote the club in your usually in your country. Um, so he's, it's almost been, he's probably been trained in, in, in a way, I mean, he's a smart guy, so he, he's going to share his own opinions, but I mean, he's kind of been mentored in a way to be very, very Tottenham Hotspur, uh, kind of, um, biased really. Um, so, so it's, it's tough. And, and I think in that instance though, Carter, I, I missed the game, uh, myself. I, I, uh, three of my four kids were playing AYSO and travel soccer. So I missed it. So I watched it on the highlights. But um, but it it is difficult for somebody in that position to be unbiased. At the same time, you would think that he would at least be a little bit kind of uh, impartial and just try to see both sides of the story. But maybe it's tough to get that that Spurs bias out of him, perhaps. Yeah, I think also he he, he is was in a position where. The other two seemed to be ganging up on him after the match because Barton and Holden, I think, had both come in with the expectation that most of us had come in with that this would be a crowning day for Spurs. They were on the roll. They may not win the league. They've got a four-point gap with Chelsea, and Chelsea's got this very uh, easy run-in. So uh, they may not win the league, but they're the better team right now, and they've got an FA Cup semifinal at Wembley to prove it. And look at what happened. And Spurs were better for large portions of the match, but they lost. Chelsea took their chances. Classic Conte team being able to hit on the break when needed, and they lost. So I think maybe his reaction post match was partly to being ganged up. But whatever the case, the next day Friedel wasn't on, and it was just uh, Kate Abdo, Stu Holden, and Warren Barton. They did well again. And I, uh, this is a whole other issue. Warren Barton, I've beaten up on for many years. I've, I've said, I just don't understand why this guy is in the studio, why they, Fox keeps this guy. Is it that because they want the, the one person, one commentator uh, with a British background and a British accent? Well, it turns out when I've seen him paired with Kate Abdo, he's getting better and better with his analysis. She's asking him, I think, more pointed questions about tactics and defending that Rob Stone does. Rob Stone asks very general questions, uh, sometimes questions that are just meant to to, to, to provoke uh, some sort of um, reaction, uh, particularly from Eric Winalda, who's, who's very colorful and very, um, very um, abrasive at times. So I, I really like uh, the way kind of Kate Abdo on these FA Cup broadcasts has, has, has brought the best out of Warren Barton. And we're getting a lot more from him to the point where I think he's becoming very seasoned and becoming uh, much more comfortable for me to watch and listen to, uh, believe it or not. And so I hadn't realized that a lot of my critiques about him might have had to do with the pairings he was uh, had in the studio mm-hmm. and, and who was hosting and, and how 
they were interacting with him. So that was Sunday. Hey, uh, also watched, hey, yes. so, so, so about Warren Barton, though, too. I mean, I, I definitely agree in terms of the chemistry is better with uh, Kate Abso and Warren Barton. And I think it was the Europa League last week where they were almost flirting on set. I mean, there was just really kind of laid back, kind of just back and forth, a little bit banter. Um, and she's kind of giving it to him as far as kind of making some some jokes and he's giving it back. Um, but for me personally, I still think that um, if, if any listeners want to kind of check this out, if you just Google Warren Barton drinking game, we have a bingo card that we've created. And, and those keywords that he always mentions in his analysis are still true to this day. So even though he might be getting better in terms of kind of the chemistry and kind of some of the answers back and forth, um, I mean, he's the type of guy that's always any type of kind of analysis or any type of uh, pre-match. He's just throwing out words like desire, high tempo, energy. Energy is a big one of his. I mean, focus. These types of kind of just uh, cliches in terms of the things. He's Mentality saying. is another one. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've created a. If you if you just Google it, you'll find it. It's a drinking game, and and it just the, the, the amount of times he just relies on just these these words just to kind of beef up his. Uh, analysis um it's weak and, and so I, i'm not a fan personally um i don't think i've ever been but um but I, I do agree in terms of at least on set on studio when he is kind of back and forth that's gotten better but i think it's, it's still got a long way to go and i'm not a big fan by any means yeah so i also watched uh, the schalke leipzig uh, game on uh on uh, fs2 which was going on uh, it overlapped a little bit with uh, City and Arsenal on on uh, FS1, and they they just had voiceovers, intros, and outros because they didn't have uh, 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 Kate Abdo hosting for that game. Um, although I maybe they did have a studio, and I missed it because I, I again I was just switching back and forth and focusing more on Man City Arsenal. But uh, the, the the big takeaway is Leipzig failed to take advantage of Bayern's uh, slip up. They could have cut the deficit to i believe six points in the bundesliga with a game uh, still to play against bayern in leipzig which could have potentially cut it to three so uh, the bottom line is there's no title race even though bayern is slipping and it goes back to that period of time in early february when bayern uh of salvaged results in four successive games where they were behind uh, and uh in in uh, one or two of the i think in two of the games they won and in two of the games they drew but they uh, they had eight points when they could have ended up with zero points that's the eight point gap right now between leipzig and bayern so um that that title race is over moving on to the during the week chelsea southampton and i know you 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 had feelings about this also how well Kyle martino did stepping in when rebecca Lowe had um it, it started coughing on set and in fact, you could tell in her voice she had something prior to that where she was struggling. Then she started coughing. Kyle Martino, like a pro, I, I should mention to listeners who don't know this, Susan Sarandon is his mother-in-law, so he's got some. Um, <laughs> he's got some uh, acting. He's probably gotten some training as far as performance, right? Yeah, totally. Um, maybe just at the dinner table, but he was able to step in and do masterfully well. So yeah, that for, was uh, for, that for, was for anyone for anyone that missed it though that, that that was I mean that was one coughing fit Carter because like she started coughing at halftime analysis just a little bit and then it was it was getting really bad and then so Kyle jumped in to kind of take over in terms of reading the teleprompter and having the discussion with uh, Robbie Musto but the coughing continued through that whole segment all the way to the very end of the halftime analysis right. so. Th- 
Because they could get her offset, obviously, right, while right. they were on air. Yeah, I mean, Carl did great. I mean, the other thing, too, that uh, Rebecca's done, which she's never done this before, but as of about, I think, two or three weeks ago, she's on Instagram. And she posted on, I think it was on Monday, she was going to England for a one-day uh, trip, kind of a one-day there and back. So I don't know if it's in terms of traveling, she caught something, got sick, or you know, anyone flying on planes, you mean you're more susceptible to get, to getting sick. But um, yeah, Kyle did an incredible job um, in terms of uh, rescuing her at halftime, and then uh, for the post match analysis, uh, she was back on set. But yeah, like you said, to Kartik, you could still kind of hear it in her voice in terms of kind of just definitely uh, worn down and, and sick there. So hopefully she gets uh, better for the weekend. Yeah, post game, I, I thought maybe they were they were going to pull her off, but they didn't, uh, and they they kept uh, uh, kept her on. Uh, Liam McHugh, who's done a lot of the midweek games during the course of the season, has done quite well, I think, is uh, is on NHL duty during the Stanley Cup playoffs, so he's not available. So they really don't have a backup uh, that stateside. If you have an emergency like this, they they obviously cannot fly. Um, fly uh, Steve Bauer in at late notice and Santi Solari, who sat in once or twice last season is now with, uh, not Santi Solari. Uh, sorry. Um, S- Sebastian, Sebastian, Sebastian Salazar yeah. <laughs> is now on ESP is now on ESPN FC and actually hosts the ESPN FC show uh, every now and then. Actually, I think is kind of fit into the role where he's the designated replacement when Dan Thomas is not available. And I should point out since we're uh, mentioning Sebastian Salazar and Dan Thomas, uh, that whole ESPN FC crew has escaped the uh, chop mm-hmm. uh, for now with the with the big ESPN news from uh, from Tuesday. There were a couple soccer writers released, I believe, but no no studio talent, no on air soccer talent. So that's uh, that that's good news for those of us who love that show and and, and love the way ESPN produces that. Uh, last thing I watched this week was. Uh, uh, the DFB Pokal. Oh no! Before we get to the uh, to the ESPN two broadcast of uh, uh, Bayern and Dortmund, want to mention Neil Ashton being brought on pregame Wednesday by NBC was a really smart thing, given uh, all the off the field developments that happened on Tuesday. Uh, Joey Barton's eighteen month ban, which effectively means he probably will never play in the Premier League or the Championship again. Maybe he can come back as a League One or League Two player, but he'll be thirty five or thirty six when the ban's over and. His skills would have eroded to a point where um, <laughs> I don't think he's he's going to be uh, successful. Uh, the uh, uh, her, her Majesty Her Majesty uh, Her Majesty's uh, uh, Customs and Revenue uh, Tax and Revenue rating West Ham United and Newcastle United on um, on uh, Wednesday morning. Big big news in the UK, and I think also significant in that there's been this undercurrent when you talk to people in the in the soccer media that Mike Ashley and David Gold and David Sullivan, Mike Ashley owns Newcastle, David Gold, David Sullivan owns West Ham, are a little bit shifty in the way they run their clubs. And I've heard that undercurrent from multiple soccer journalists over the course of the last few years. And to me, it was no irony. Those were the two clubs that got raided based on what other soccer journalists have told me, other football journalists have told me the last few years. So really good job by, uh, uh, and then of course the David Moyes situation uh, being charged by the FA, really good job by NBC getting Ashton on air to talk about those three things, not just previewing games and talking about tactics and and the title race, but talking uh, 
specifically about those serious off-the-field issues. And then finishing up, uh, Bayern and Dortmund on ESPN2. Really good match. Uh, Craig Burley and Mark Donaldson called the game for ESPN. Uh, Burley is fantastic as a co-commentator. We kind of miss that. It's great to have him in studio every every day or four days a week on ESPN uh, FC, but he's... Um, he, he, he's definitely not being utilized enough as a co-commentator because ESPN doesn't have the rights to very many uh, sporting events. This was a treat. Uh, ESPN, as we uh, have discussed before on this show, uh, Chris, they tend to have a lot of the cup competitions still, rights to a lot of the cup competitions. Right. And, they, and they don't necessarily get games like Bayern Dortmund where they can showcase uh, those cup competitions on ESPN2. Generally, it's just stuff thrown on ESPN3. But this was, uh, this was a nice treat and reminded us of what ESPN could be capable of if they got rights to something else. They had an ESPN FC studio show with Stevie Nichol and Alejandro Moreno, Dan Thomas, right after analyzing the game and at halftime as well. So I think uh, it shows how they could integrate the ESPN FC brand and the studio with Dan Thomas hosting into any live soccer coverage they have from the club side in Europe. They just don't have the rights to much. Yeah, and in this match too, um, I think the very underrated uh, commentator, Mark Donaldson, uh, was commentating this match. And to me, I, I just love having the Scottish connection there too with Craig Burley and Mark Donaldson. Uh, just really well commentated. Um, a great game to watch. End-to-end action. Uh, great production. I mean, th- those types of matches, those German matches, always look good in terms of camera angles and replays. Um, etc. So it was really and on ESPN too, just fantastic to watch uh, midweek. And uh, congratulations to, to, to Dortmund. Uh, surprise, surprise, making it through now to the final against Frankfurt, uh, which will be played I think May twenty seventh, and hopefully that one too will be on uh, ESPN two. Fingers crossed. Or it's on a Saturday, so hopefully we'll we'll see. Maybe 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 ESPN Deportes perhaps. Well, we'll we'll see. Anything else, Kartik, that jumped out? No, that was about it for me. All right. So I'm going to get into El Clasico in a minute, but just a couple of things I did see kind of prior to that. The um, Europa League, so it's a week ago. It seems so far away. But I do want to mention uh, one of my new favorite commentators for the Europa League uh, coverage on Fox Sports, and that's Ross Fletcher. Now, Ross Fletcher, not to be confused with Ross Dyer. Ross Dyer is the one that does the multi-match 90 uh, for Fox Sports and does some work for ESPN. But Ross Fletcher, uh, he's English. He used to used to uh, commentate games for the Seattle Sounders. He's done a bunch of work for BBC Radio. But uh, Ross Fletcher and Ian Joy did the Schalke against Ajax game uh, for the second week in a row. I should, I should point out, I now know he doesn't do work for the Sounders anymore because my, uh, my email to him at the Sounders FC account bounced. Ah. <laughs> That's how I knew that. <laughs> but go ahead. But this happened last week when I tried to email him about something. Go so, ahead. F- so for the second week in a row, so it was the first leg and the second leg. Both of those games were on FS2. Both of them with Ross Fletcher and Ian Joy. Um, at the same time on FS1, it was the Anderlecht-Man uh, United match. And then, and then the second leg, same again to same commentators with... Um, yeah, Keith Costigan and, and uh, Alexi Lalas doing those. So for both of those games, both the Sha- uh, Schalke against Ajax game and the United uh, Andalek game, I had them on side by side. For both weeks, the, the matches between Schalke and Ajax were so much better. I mean, light years better in terms of end-to-end action, a lot of quality. Uh, the Andalect ones, um, they tried hard, but it was a little bit, um, a lot of lulls in those games, a lot of missed opportunities. 
But Ross Fletcher, uh, and he enjoy just the amount of enthusiasm, excitement. Uh, it really pulls you into the game, and, and both of them did an incredible job uh, for two weeks in a row. And, and, and I really think they work really, really well together in terms of those two. So hopefully we'll see more of those um, in the future uh, for Confederations Cup or other tournaments, etc. But I really enjoyed that one. Um, and then on Friday, I watched uh, Cologne against Hoffenheim. That was, this was uh, Ross Dyer uh, from Multimatch 90 fame and uh, Ian Joy. And uh, Ian Joy uh, still, to this day, uh, still has so, so much, uh, not, not just excitement and enthusiasm. He has that, but also a keen eye on the game in terms of uh, pointing out some great observations. Um, but really, to me, is kind of a, a footballer's football commentator. Really somebody that knows the game inside and out. And then Friday night, I stumbled on something I've never seen before, Kartik. And this was um, the 2017 FIFA Ultimate Team Championship Series. So not the best name, but what it was, was ESPN2 in prime time uh, showed a FIFA video game competition. On So basically, you had uh, a couple of hosts. You had... Um, who was it? Uh, Jimmy Conrad and uh, Spencer. And Spencer's kind of a famous uh, YouTuber. Uh, there's a lot of like, kind of FIFA how-to videos, etc. But essentially what it was, it was, it was uh, I'm not sure if it was live, but it was a competition between uh, a bloke from Saudi Arabia and another bloke from Japan playing FIFA. And almost the whole coverage was basically you're watching them play FIFA. And so you were seeing exactly what was happening on the pitch. I actually found it really absorbing. I, I thought it was really... It was fun to watch. Um, the actual players themselves, the, the guy from Saudi Arabia and the other one from Japan, were pretty boring and young and didn't really have much to say. But, oh my God, they could play really, really well FIFA. N I'd never seen players like this before. But um, the whole production was really well done. And uh, I don't know, this might be a new... Hope, I mean, of course, e-games and e-sports and stuff like that is, is booming. But perhaps this is a way for kind of soccer to get even more into the, the mainstream through a, death, a different method, method, which is video games, which we know the FIFA series is incredibly popular. But, um, but that was interesting to watch. And, and actually interesting to see, we don't know what it is yet, but interesting to, to see what the, the TV rating will be for this one uh, compared to a typical Friday night MLS game, for example. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I wish I had known was on, actually. I probably would have watched it. And I'll, I'll be on the lookout for that in the future. Yeah, and then uh, over the weekend, um, like I mentioned before too, my kids had a whole bunch of soccer games going on. So I used the Fubo DVR feature to record the Swansea Stoke game, uh, which was played in the morning, 10 o'clock Eastern time. And then after I came back from, um, from those games, I was able to, with Fubo, kind of basically uh, go in, log in and watch the game from end to end um, with no problems. So, so that was a really uh, cool experience to watch it that way. Um, also watched the season premiere of Fargo, and the second uh, episode this week through using the DVR too, and that was cool. So, so I, I'm a happy camper after after that win, and especially with Fargo being back. Um, yeah, interestingly, Kartik. So the, I mentioned I missed I missed the uh, Chelsea Spurs game. So Sunday, I watched ended up watching the uh, well Burnley against Man United. There wasn't really much to say there, but I ended up watching Liverpool against Palace instead of watching uh, Man City against Arsenal, uh, the FA Cup semi final. And to me, at least Kartik, well, for me, it's a little bit different in terms of, uh, I mean, it's a relegation game. So I want to watch it to see if, I mean, Liverpool beats Palace, which of course they didn't. 
but um, it was interesting to watch it uh, to watch that game. It, that hooked me in more so than watching the FA Cup uh, semi final final between Arsenal and uh, Man City. I didn't have as much interest in that one. But um, we'll get into the TV ratings in a little bit. But uh, it was an interesting uh, kind of a comparison between the two. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So Kartik, El Clasico. So this one. So the, let me let me talk about the, the actual game itself uh, for a second. Um, this was one of the best games I've seen in years. Any any type of game, whether it's international games, friendlies, cup competitions, whatever it may be. But this was an absolutely scintillating game from start to finish. Um, it was one of those games that um, I ran into com- some soccer dads this week at soccer practice, just talking to them about the game. And uh, even if you take the goals away from this game, just the 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 energy the 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 plane level in terms of just the the crisp passes the the speed it was non-stop for the entire game there was no lulls um and in previous El Clasicos it's been very especially under Mourinho it's been very physical very stop start stop start this one just flowed from the from the first minute or two Ronaldo almost scored but it was just an incredible game to watch and a, and a great advertisement for soccer in general and actually following up on our podcast that we did last week in terms of talking about which European soccer league is going to be the biggest in 10 years from now, yes, that one game in, in isolation is is not uh, a complete representation of La Liga, but there was so much in this game to just marvel at that to me, there's no doubt that La Liga is just light years ahead of the Premier League in terms of entertainment value, in terms of uh, skill, technical, speed, all those things combined, and this was just um, perfect timing, I think, for La Liga and, and be in sports, hopefully, uh, to really take advantage of just these, just an incredible game. What what a game it was to watch! It was just absolutely amazing. One of the best I've seen in, in years. Now, Kartik, having said that, so the TV coverage, the TV coverage was disappointing. So they had, I think, about an hour and a half pre-game. Um, they had plenty of stuff halftime. They had like a, a rooftop, um, basically interviews with people, people from the rooftop in, in New York where they had a, a viewing party there. They had uh, Ida Good uh, Johnson uh, pre-match at, uh, in, in Madrid interviewing him with uh, Jamie Easton. I think post-match, they had a ton of coverage too. So I, I have no issues with the, the, the analysis um, but the strange thing for me, Kartik, is, and I think you missed this, but the strange thing is, is just that the studio shots that they had, usually what they do is kind of have the studio that they use that looks like a spaceship. So they'll use half of it for some kind of uh, on-screen kind of um, analysis where Gary Bailey is on the, on, on, the, on the TV screen, a flat screen, kind of showing different uh, things going on. And then on the other side of the set, they'd have kind of a discussion at a round table. This one, they had it just a wide angle. They just showed the whole entire studio itself. And so for the, the entire pre-match, halftime, post-match, all you saw was people standing up. And it was a bit awkward. It was a bit strange. And it was a disconnect. So I was watching this, watching people stand up, talking. And, and when people are standing up, usually it's not as comfortable. It's, it's I don't know. It just um, I, I just missed kind of like the locker room where they have like the the round table, kind of that type of analysis. Uh, to me, at least, from my perspective, the whole kind of wide angle, wide shot of just people standing, talking, just didn't work. I, I, just, I just did not like it at all. 
Now the commentary Kartik, uh, <laughs> you either love it or hate it. My, myself personally, and we've talked about this in the past before too, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ray Hudson. Uh, the amount of passion and energy he has and just pure love for the game. Um, and also Phil Shane, who's just a perfect partner uh, in terms of his knowledge and, and the way he calls games. Um, it's rare that either one of these guys make a mistake. And, and I just really, really enjoyed it. And it, if, for me, at least personally, it was a game um, that matched up Ray Hudson's uh, excitement and enthusiasm uh, perfectly. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people that don't like Ray Hudson and don't like his style. Uh, many of you, the listeners, probably too. But um, I just enjoyed it for what it is. It is what it is. And uh, he came up with some pearls of metaphors galore. Um, but, but all in all, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. All right, Kartik, um, what else do I watch? So Monday I watched uh, Newcastle against Preston. Uh, party time in uh, Newcastle, St. James's Park seeing uh, Newcastle win that one. They had to win that one to uh, get promoted. They won it 4-1. Uh, and now, actually, they still have a chance to actually finish in first. They've got a few more games to go, uh, play Cardiff on Friday. Um, but they could end up going uh, finishing in first if Brighton stumbles at all. But congratulations to Newcastle United uh, to see them back in the Premier League. Big team. And uh, Oh, yeah. And then the last but, last but not least, Kartik, um, we already talked about the, uh, the DFB Pokal uh, semi-final between Bayern and uh, Dortmund. But prior to that, so that one kicked off, I think, at 2.45. So prior to that, there was the um, Borough against Sunderland, and he had a Crystal Palace against Spurs game, also the Arsenal against Leicester game. And uh, I had two of those games on side by side. Uh, again, from a relegation perspective, keeping a close eye on, on the Borough against Sunderland and, of course, Palace, see what they did. But these games was just, to me at least, uh, were putting me into sleep. It's so slow. Uh, Sunderland was absolutely terrible. Um, yes, Borough scored, but it was just one of those games, actually, both of those games just was putting me to sleep. And that's why at halftime, I said, you know what, forget it. I'm, I'm switching over. And then for the halftime, then uh, onwards, I watched the, the ESPN2 broadcast of uh, Dortmund against uh, Bayern. So all in all, especially based on the final results of those games in the Premier League, I think I might the right, made the right decision. All right, Kartik, anything else before we move on to the next segment? No, but I, I think the thing that I find with the Premier League is that there are so many games that are of a substandard nature in that league. That league is not as good as, as La Liga, from my perspective, from most people's perspective, I think, yeah, most objective people's perspective. I don't think it's as good as the Bundesliga. I actually enjoy watching the football. when I, I'm more or less watching the Premier League whenever it's on, but there are times that I will flip down one channel from, from uh, NBCSN to Fox Sports 1. I have DirecTV, so it's, it's one channel away. And the game that, I, that they're showing on FS1 is better, but I have to reinforce this. I think the production levels of uh, the way the Premier League games are produced, the way you hear uh, sound from the, from the crowd, where the mics are placed in the stadium, all of those things impact you eventually just switching back to the Premier League game and then NBC's presentation versus the presentation of other networks that are covering other leagues. So the Premier League still has those advantages, even when the quality of play has quite clearly dropped off or, or, or fallen behind other major European leagues. So that's that's uh, something discussing, I guess, in the future. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a valid point too, definitely in terms of uh, reasons why people uh, watch le leagues more than uh, others. And some, sometimes it's subjective. Sometimes it's not one of those things that people realize. But uh, yeah, probably in the last few weeks, I probably flipped away from Premier League games probably more than I've done in a long time. Uh, just because it was either one-sided or just really poor standard to play. But then yeah, again, yeah. there's I been mean, some good ones too. I, I have to say, I haven't consciously been trying to watch the Bundesliga uh, the last few months, and, but people who listen to the show have probably heard as many Bundesliga, or not as many, but far more Bundesliga games mentioned in, in the one I watch each week yep. than you were hearing before. And it's because the Premier League, the standard of play will be so bad uh, at that 3 p.m. kickoff, and then you'll switch to the game on CNBC. It's equally bad, and you end up just watching the Bundesliga game, and that's happened repeatedly to me in the, in the last eight to ten weeks. It's just the standard of play in the league has taken a dip. I, I think uh, that's something that we it might get fixed because of all the TV money, but it also might be impacted by Brexit. So watch this space. Yeah, definitely a lot more uh, channel flipping. So speaking of the Premier League, um, we've got some big matches coming up this summer with the uh, International Champions Cup, as well as uh, a bunch of friendlies throughout the United States. Uh, Man United, Man City coming to town, Spurs. Spurs ticket sales are going quickly um, in Nashville, I know that for sure, as well as other cities. But if you're interested in buying tickets to sports events, um, it can be way too complicated. But there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every single ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket purchased is fully guaranteed, so you can so shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticking, ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And best of all, my, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, moving on to TV streaming news, um, I'll let you go first um, in terms of the news about um, Fox and their 2018 uh, World Cup coverage, at least a little bit of news that has uh, leaked out. Yeah, I, I think that this is um, good news for, um, for most fans is that they're going to show uh, an unprecedented number of games on uh, on. Um, the the main network on, on over the air Fox, which is something uh, that we uh, we've been seeing ESPN in their coverage of international tournaments get away from. Right? They um, they had shown a remarkable number of games during the uh, two, 1998 World Cup on ABC. In 2002, they showed fewer. There was a time issue, and most of those games ended up being tape delayed. By 2006. They were showing even fewer. 2010 and 2014, they've shown very little on ABC other than the finals and some occasional weekend games. And that part of that has been ESPN's model, right? ESPN has taken the college uh, bowl games and, the, and then the college uh, 
national playoff, the 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 the, the uh, playoff off of for college football, off of ABC completely. It's on ESPN, and uh, they did it with the Open Championship when they uh, when they still had the rights to that. They took that uh, tournament, which had been on ABC really since it was first broadcast in the United States via satellite in the early '60s, uh, over to uh, ESPN in 2009 and kept it there until NBC won the rights away from them. In, in the last few years. So that was something that ESPN was doing as a way to kind of justify perhaps the, the, the massive cable subscriptions, uh, the massive rights fees they were paying. Uh, in fact, ABC doesn't have a sports division anymore. It's, it's ESPN, of course. Um, it looks like that, that, that trend is going to be reversed for soccer or for World Cup soccer with what Fox is doing, which I think will excite a lot of people. I, I, you don't know how many complaints, uh, Chris, and we haven't necessarily talked about this a lot on the show or on the site, but how many complaints you and I have gotten over the course of the last decade. Why is an X game on ABC? Why does ESPN insist on showing a game at 3 p.m. on uh, on a Sunday, which is a final of a major tournament or a semifinal or whatever quarterfinal? Why is it always on ESPN? Why is it never on ABC? Uh, I, I guess Fox views this very differently than ESPN does. They want to use their over-the-air channel to promote the the um, the product that is on their uh, FS1 and FS2. Yeah, the, the last uh, ABC game I can remember as far as the soccer game goes back to, I think, the 2010 World Cup. It was the England against USA game with the Rob Green uh, goalkeeper mistake. I think that, yeah, was, I think that Spain, was the last one. Par- I remember Spain-Paraguay maybe being on ABC. Yeah, um, but definitely few, few and far between. Very, very few in terms of Were any strategy. of the Euros? Euros no. in 2012? No. The Euro final in 2008 was on ABC. That's the last Euro game I remember on ABC. I think everything's been on ESPN since. And then 2014 World Cup, everything was on ESPN, correct? Or was there a game on ABC? Um, uh, the U.S. Portugal US Portugal was on ABC. Okay. But it's, but it's very, very few. So so the news about it's Fo- very rare, Fox yeah. um, doing an unprecedented number, which we don't know what that number is. Is it is it three? I mean, that could be unprecedented <laughs> based on what, what uh, ABC and ESPN have done. But well, well, it, as it could I be, said, could back in 98, 98 and 2006, they showed a fair amount on ABC. It's just been recently. And it's not, it's not a statement about soccer. They've been doing this with, as I mentioned, Open Championship, uh, college football, college basketball. College basketball, they pulled everything off ABC, other – than the SEC final. There's no college basketball on ABC at all now for the last six or seven years when they used to have um, uh, uh, two, three games every weekend on ABC. So that's just been what ESPN has done. Who knows? Maybe with the cutbacks they're experiencing at ESPN, they'll reevaluate that strategy. But um, this is good news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully that'll get uh, it will get that, those games into more mainstream uh, households throughout the United States. I mean, Fox has a... Um, I think it's a distribution of 112 million uh, households um, that that game would be available in. So that's huge. So, so the big news at Kartik this week in terms of uh, streaming TV news is the FA Cup. And what a mess this is. So recently, probably going back to the fall, um, there were newspaper reports that um, IMG, which is a, a big rights distributor um, around the world, um, and also does, does a lot of production to uh, production of uh, Premier League matches in the past and a lot of work around, around the globe. But that th- they had signed a deal with uh, the FA for the FA Cup uh, and also England matches, but mostly FA Cup rights from around the world outside of England. And at the time in the fall, um, the number that was mentioned was um, $773 million 
deal, which is a huge deal for the FA. So at that time, I think there was a lot of celebration, kind of saying, okay, this is wonderful. This is great news. Uh, looking at the number, people were like staggered by how huge it was. Um, so then the the thinking was is that IMG then would go ahead and do the, basically IMG bought the rights globally outside of England, and that IMG then would go ahead and sell the rights throughout the world as far as the different regions. So the United States, they'd go to shopping to Fox and ESPN and BN Sports and say, okay, right, we've got the FA Cup rights that are coming up. They're, they're due to expire at the end of the 2017-2018 season. Um, and here's what, what we're offering type of thing. So what happened, though, last week is that the Daily Mail reported that um, that IMG and the FA had never signed the agreement, that they still hadn't signed the agreement, So, which is a huge, huge mistake. So in terms of, uh, for whatever reason, the FA never got IMG to actually sign the final document. So there's no deal in place for that. So now, all of a sudden... The FA Cup, in terms of um, the leverage that the FA thought that they had with IMG going ahead and looking like they were going to sign this deal and, and bring in tons of money for uh, the Football Association uh, in England, that's gone. So so there's a lot of uh, question marks about what's going to happen in the United States and around the world too, but the US specifically in terms of FA Cup rights. Uh, from one of my sources, my sources revealed that um, both Fox and ESPN are not interested, and neither are NBC Sports. So it's p- possible. I mean, anything can change in uh, kind of uh, the business world in terms of negotiations, etc. But it could quite possibly be either a Turner Sports could come in and, and acquire the rights. Or it could be a, like an Amazon. They could do a deal, um, or somebody else, maybe a, uh, like a YouTube or something, could come in and try to acquire the rights to the FA Cup. But this is a huge mess, and this is really puts the FA in a difficult position in terms of probably not having a lot of leverage. Uh, the amount of uh, rights fees that they were probably expecting in terms of uh, from the US and around the world is probably going to decline. Uh, at the same time, uh, Emirates, who's the sponsor of the FA Cup is uh, thinking about pulling out because they're not happy with how the FA Cup has been promoted, where it hasn't really been mentioned about it now being the Emirates FA Cup. So lots of uh, negativity, lots of uh, doubt there. And um, looks like man, we'll have to wait and see as far as the TV viewers and soccer fans like ourselves where this ends up. But hopefully in the next six months or so, we'll find out uh, who's going to acquire the rights to the FA Cup. Right, and the Football League stands to benefit from this because their competition, the League Cup, seems to be growing in stature all the time uh, relative to the FA Cup. And you, you hear from a lot of people the romance of the Cup, blah, 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 but it's just it's getting to a point where now the League Cup might be more accessible in the United States than the FA Cup. And we certainly know that uh, teams are more prone to take of that competition seriously in the early rounds than they are um, the, the FA Cup. Now, as, as you get further along and the FA Cup teams take it very seriously, we saw two excellent semifinals this weekend from Wembley, a, a, a rare treat that four of maybe the top five, top six in the table ended up in that semifinal. That generally doesn't happen in those semifinals. But uh, this is a huge mess. And the exposure that that cup competition has for a newer and younger generation of, of football fans, I think is going to be out the window to, to the point where it, it could just be an irrelevant competition 
competition for many people down the road mm -hmm. uh, other than those romantics. Uh, I would like to see at least this salvage by Amazon getting the rights, the streaming rights or something, someone that will actively promote it. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that, that, that's a, a real concern. And uh, if Fox and ESPN have pulled out and NBC isn't interested, that means uh, that leaves you with Turner or VN or um, streaming pack, uh, packages. That's right. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So d definitely watch this space. As soon as we have more information, we'll be sure to share that. But uh, interesting developments there. And it, and it could be, you're right, Kartik, it could be one of those things that if the FA Cup ends up on Amazon and you, you had to have Amazon Prime to be able to access the Amazon videos, then, and say the League Cup is continuing to be on BN Sports, then in terms of accessibility, um, I mean, it, it's, the League Cup could be more accessible than the FA Cup. Yeah, it certainly could be. Although the thing that I'm finding about Amazon Prime, I've, I, Longtime Amazon Prime subscriber, they there is more and more stuff that you get uh, from from a streaming perspective on Amazon Prime every month. So they're adding things, and yep. I can see them strategically adding the FA Cup. By the way, if you have Amazon Prime, there are a lot of soccer movies and soccer documentaries, <laughs> in, including uh, Class of '92, which I just watched recently yep. uh, on Amazon Prime. The uh, Manchester United story of uh, Ryan Giggs and, and and the Neville brothers, etc. Paul Scholes that. Um, I, uh, that that's available. So maybe this would be an entree to try and get more soccer fans to subscribe, but it certainly would curb accessibility. We talk about that word yeah. all the time. Yeah, and, and Amazon's not, not a, uh, a sponsor of the show, but me personally, Kartik, I actually I prefer Amazon um, Prime Video than Netflix. On Netflix, once I've watched all kind of the binge to watch and all the stuff I want to watch, I can't find that much else there. So, and, and usually with Amazon, I find uh, not just foot soccer stuff, but I find a lot more, whether it's movies, documentaries, whatever it may be, actually the selection, I, I think it's better. It's actually harder to find the stuff in terms of the way it's set up, but I actually prefer, prefer the Amazon video um, than Netflix, but I'm definitely probably the, the minority on that. So Kartik, what, what else is going on in, on the news front? Yeah, it's been uh, a busy week. Um, the UCL uh, second second leg semifinal, uh, which uh, between Man City and Lyon, uh, which is the women's uh, women's side, which Lyon won the first leg, by the way, at the uh, uh, at the Academy Stadium in Manchester, in East Manchester, three one, uh, will be on at two forty five p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Of course, this is Carly Lloyd versus uh, versus Alex Morgan. Lucy Bronze just got named. Uh, the PFA Women's Player of the Year. She plays for Manchester City, and uh, Leon is is one of the top teams. They've they've got the advantage, but this is exciting. This is something for American fans to watch. Although it will conflict or it will overlap somewhat with the game on Lifetime, uh, the NWSL game this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of coverage of soccer online, so Eleven Sports, which is the company that went ahead and acquired the the rights to a lot of the One World Sports uh, properties, not the company itself, but the properties um, that, that they uh, had the rights to, uh, has now started showing the Belgian League. So uh, if you have 11 sports on your uh, cable or satellite um, channels, great. If not, uh, Fubo has it. But uh, with the Belgian League, you can watch uh, Brugge, uh, Anderlecht. I mean, actually, if you watch a lot of the Europa League, you probably have a better appreciation for some of these Belgian teams, as well as, of course, the Belgian national team and all these youngsters coming through the system. Um, it's uh, Kartik, have you had a chance to watch any of the Belgian League uh, this season? The game 
discerning. It randomly taped on the yard. It's oh wow, the Belgian league, and it was it was this uh, eleven sports. And I, I just watched the game, uh, watched a portion of the game this morning. I'll probably watch the rest of it sometime during. Well, today's the Manchester derby, and I, uh, I've got Boca Raton FC things, but I'll finish watching the game at some point. But yeah, it, it's on. Set your DVR. Uh, Belgian league on 11 sports. If you get that channel and if you have direct TV sports back, you do get that channel. Great. And uh, in other news, uh, Sling TV. So their cloud DVR functionality uh, is now available on Apple TV. Uh, it's also on Roku and Android TV. Uh, slowly but surely, they're rolling this out to all the different kind of uh, systems that are different apps that you can watch uh, Sling TV on. Uh, it is $5 a month uh, extra but uh, it's a good way to be able to save uh, programming that you know, or, or to schedule programming programming that you want to tape and watch later. Uh, also, Sling TV has announced a a new marketing campaign. It's called called uh, A La Carte TV. So I checked this out yesterday. Uh, what they're focusing on. Uh, is basically just positioning themselves as Sling TV being an a la carte service where you can kind of pick and choose what channels you want. And that's really the, van- the advantage of Sling TV in their eyes. So I went through and, and signed up for kind of a free account to see if that was the case. And actually, it's not. It's the same as it, what they were, had before. It's just that they're positioning it differently. So you still have to choose the base package of Sling Orange, which is $20 a month, or Sling Blue, which is $25 a month. And then on top of that, if you do want to pick and choose, if you want to get a BN Sports or Univision or whatever it may be, you still have to select packages. It's not like you can select a la carte, at least not yet. I mean, it's, it's possible that down the road they might uh, do it where you can pick and choose kind of single uh, channels, but that is not available yet. So it's a little bit misleading. I think it's one of those things, though, it's really more about marketing and positioning themselves as that's the differentiator because there is a lot of competition. But from what I've seen so far, it's the same as what it was before, just with a new a new package on the outside, kind of a new ribbon. But um, we'll have to wait and see. If, if, it, if it does change, uh, we'll let you know. And Kartik, any, any other news? Yeah, I, I've noticed this the last few weeks, and, and maybe we'll we'll ask NBC for a comment. Maybe it's just related to the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. But, but we've seen uh, Match of the Day disappear on Saturday nights. Uh, Sunday mornings and has generally been one match of the day and it's just Sunday night and it's uh, and it, it includes highlights from uh, all the games on the weekend. Now, in fairness, this weekend, because of uh, the postponements of, of many matches due to the FA Cup, there were fewer games. So it, it probably didn't make sense to have two different matches of the day. But we'll see uh, if this goes on. The NHL Stanley Cup playoffs are, are being withered down to uh, uh, the, the, the uh, quarterfinal stage. Uh, so maybe there'll be more uh, programming availability and we'll see match of the day again on Saturday and Sunday nights. But for now, it appears to just be on Sunday nights each week. Okay, so moving on to TV ratings. Um, the big one we still don't know yet, and that's El Clasico. So we're awaiting, I just, actually just checked, checked my email a second ago, we're awaiting the numbers on that, the official numbers. So um, by the time you listen to this podcast, I'm sure we'll have the final numbers on the uh, both the English language and Spanish language uh, combined, uh, as well as all of the most watched uh, soccer games from this past week. And we'll have all of those numbers on worldsoccertalk.com. So, so check that out when you get a chance. But we do have some other numbers. Um, one of the interesting things, and I kind of teased this earlier, Kartik, was that uh, 
on the Sunday morning, I ended up watching the Crystal Palace against Liverpool match instead of the FA Cup semi-final between Man City and Arsenal. Sorry. But uh, the interesting thing is, is actually the TV numbers reflect that. So on NBCSN, that Liverpool Palace game had 395,000 viewers, uh, which was about 20,000 more than Arsenal against Man City uh, FA Cup semi-final on FS1, which had 374,000 viewers. Uh, anything you can take from that, Kartik, in terms of um, your analysis on that one? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, Liverpool fans that will watch Liverpool regardless. That's uh, that's one piece of uh, analysis. But the uh, oh boy, I, I mean, other than that, I, I can't explain or understand that. Is it NBC promotion? Is it the um, just a, the uh, a custom of watching NBC? On Sunday mornings at, at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, if you're a fan of English football, because that that's uh, bizarre. Now, look, I will admit that a few years ago, I made the same mistake. I was at a friend's house in Orlando, and um, I hadn't really checked out her cable system, but um, I watched the um, whatever uh, NBC game was going on at the same time as uh, – the Liverpool Aston Villa FA Cup semifinal and completely forgot about it. And then when I was getting alerts on my phone, I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot this game. And it turned out that it had been a big upset and, and Tim Sherwood and Aston Villa had won. So I was, uh, I, I've made this mistake myself, but I'm still a little surprised because it was, uh, again, it was Arsenal and Man City. It was two big teams. Yeah, I think it's it, it is easy to get uh, in a nice way sucked into the broadcast because uh, it is captivating. I mean, you had the Burnley against Man United. Uh, what was it? I think the I think it was nine o'clock kickoff on that one, but that had three hundred thirty four thousand viewers. But it's easy, kind of, just to continue watching it. So it's back to back. So you watch that one and go, okay, great. Now now it's Liverpool Liverpool against Palace, uh, and it's. I mean, it goes to show in terms of the FA Cup, Kartik, also a semi-final against, I mean, two of the biggest teams in England. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't know, as far as promotion or whether it's uh, how much or how little the FA Cup means anymore. Um, and also the power of the Premier League in terms of the marketing and all the promotion that goes into that and everything that NBCSN does. Uh, it's easy to conveniently forget about the FA Cup. Um, in this case, I was watching it just because of the relegation battles, and I was like, you know what, I'll watch the uh, FA Cup semi-final. I'll watch the, the highlights later, which I did, but uh, still still interesting enough. Um, in terms of some of the other numbers, um, the Chelsea Spurs match on Fox on Saturday, on um, Big Fox, uh, that was from 12.15 to 2.15, that had uh, 896,000 viewers. Uh, that's for Fox and Fox uh, Deporters, so those two combined. Uh impressive numbers there um the biggest number that we've seen so far from this past week again we're still tabulating all those numbers but 1.1 million for monterey against tigres on univision on saturday i think that was a saturday saturday night broadcast um anything else that pops out at you there kartik uh no i mean i i um i'm again a little bit uh surprised by the uh by by the uh small number for the FS1 FA Cup semifinal and the competition that gets from the Premier League. But this this can show you precisely why NBC doesn't want the FA Cup, why Fox doesn't want to retain it, and why ESPN wouldn't be interested. I, I, I mean, if um, uh, you, you take that Arsenal-Man City game in that same time slot and stick it on NBC, SN, oh, we did a couple weeks ago, and it had 700,000 viewers. So basically, you're, you're looking at 
the drop off you get because of that cup competition that's going on at the same time mm-hmm. as the Premier League. And I, I don't know that that's reflective of Fox. They promoted this game. They promoted the FA, FA Cup this weekend. Um, and I guess we, we wait the Classico rating and, the, and uh, also uh, some of the MLS ratings from the weekend. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, the one of the, one of the things I forgot to mention about the FA Cup uh, rights, too, is that uh, the FA is expecting a lot of money for the FA Cup uh, rights for this next round, too. Um, so I think they're probably going in, in with a high number to you know, ESPN and NBC and Fox. And probably Fox is looking at, at that number, I'm just guessing, and probably saying, like, you're overestimating the value of the FA Cup. The FA Cup is not what it was. I mean, that number is obscene <laughs> obscenely large uh we're walking away and we're not interested type of thing so i think uh, the numbers kind of show that too just in terms of i mean the chelsea spurs did well the eight ninety six thousand, um but that was on big fox um but it's not like light years ahead of of the premier league it's you I mean on a par or if anything it's a little bit less than that but uh we'll have to wait and see the final actually interestingly enough uh, between chelsea and arsenal will be on big fox and then followed by that is going to be um, the Seattle-Portland uh, derby. And that's, I think, May 27th also. So at the end of May, uh, doubleheader on Big Fox. So uh, you, got two, you got two derbies uh, for yep. Fox that day. And, and uh, we're not going to have a derby for them in the, in the Champions League final from Cardiff because uh, Atleti and Real Madrid have been paired together in the, uh, in the uh, semifinals. Yep. Although uh, I, I was thinking we might see that final again. We've seen that. Uh, and uh, Atleti has... Uh, Atleti and Real Madrid have now faced each other in four successive Champions Leagues. So that's uh, also something worth uh, noting. Yeah, derbies galore. And of course, this big derby this weekend, uh, Spurs against Arsenal too. So on, I think, Sunday. So lots of good football to look forward to in in the next uh, few days and next uh, several weeks. So moving on to the listener mailbag, we've got a couple of uh, comments that came in through the uh, worldsoccertalk.com website. The first is from uh, Zachary Lemon. And he says, uh, hey, I love your show. Great content. Could you please talk uh, more about the role of YouTube in watching soccer highlights? It's a very underrated way of watching soccer and can give fans a new platform for watching soccer from all around the world um, that they otherwise wouldn't see on BN Sports, ESPN and Fox Sports. Kartik? Yeah, I I think that that's that's a real real interesting uh, um, point because I have found time and again, and I keep forgetting about uh, the fact that YouTube, that Fox Soccer uploads these Bundesliga highlights to YouTube. So you can get every highlight of every Bundesliga game, every highlights package. And it's usually generally like a two to three minute package. It's not just, hey, here are the goals type thing uh, on on YouTube. And I think it's uh, it's becoming a way that a lot of people keep in touch with what happened. I, I mean, I'll admit I, I had a meeting. I missed El Clasico. Uh, I had to run out right at the end of that that Schalke uh, Schalke Red Bull Leipzig or, or excuse me, RB Leipzig game. I keep doing that. <laughs> I know I know we do it for a reason, but um, it's RB Leipzig. And I caught the highlights on YouTube, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily legal. And I think it got taken down shortly thereafter yeah. because BN doesn't share their highlights. And their highlights weren't on the ESPN FC show, even though they had Sid Lowe live in, in, in Madrid and, and giving his analysis. Dan Thomas, obviously, has a background with Madrid, et cetera. So I, I think more and more people are, are kind of falling to YouTube to find highlights of these matches. And if they can't find the highlights of the matches on YouTube, they're not really digging much deeper to find them. They're just not seeing them. 
Yeah, Zachary has a great uh, a great point because it is one of those things that I think YouTube, for the most part, in terms of soccer coverage or soccer highlights, is really untapped um, legally. So you look at uh, BN Sports. BN Sports doesn't post their highlights uh, on on their on YouTube channel. Uh, instead, you have to go to their website to watch uh, any clips there. Uh, same thing with ESPN in terms of their soccer coverage. Most of it, if you want to watch any of the, of the highlights or goals, uh, if you miss the game, you have to go to ESPNFC.com and, and see them from there. NBC Sports, same thing. They have a YouTube channel, but they don't have a lot of the highlights there. Uh, for the vast majority, you have to go to NBCSports.com and try and try to find it on there. It's not easy. And then go through all the ads and stuff like that. So at the end of the day, it's... I think it's all about monetizing um, their content and the, the, the rights that they have. And from a, from a perspective of ESPN, NBC, and being sports, uh, they probably feel that they can either monetize it better on their own websites, get more money from the video ads there than, than they, can, they can get from YouTube, uh, but also drive traffic to their websites too and have uh, an increase in traffic so that they can sell more advertising space. Unfortunately for the soccer fans, though, at the end of the day, then, though, too. So if you do go to YouTube, um, you're more than likely to see illegal highlights of goals uh, there that are usually taken down, usually within like 30 minutes or so. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a, an untapped resource, and it's something that Fox Sports is doing very well in terms of uh, Bundesliga highlights for those games. I mean, it's definitely uh, a good long term strategy, and I think uh, at the end of the day, it's going to actually help out the Bundesliga. Um, and Fox by having those uh, highlights there. Okay, context. So the next one is a uh, question um, from Rob Brock. And um, I, I guess the last few shows, we talked a lot, a lot about MLS, but he says, uh, speaking about MLS, I see the following problems with the way that US fans can view the league's coverage and what needs to change. Number one, making fans pay to watch par-level soccer. MLS Live, MLS Direct Kick, isn't going to win over a lot of people. Personally, I would uh, I would watch my regional team, which is uh, Columbus Crew, uh, every week if I didn't have to pay uh, for it. Which brings me to my next point, number two. Unless I pay, I can't watch a single Crew uh, match because I don't live around Columbus, even though it's the closest MLS team to me regionally. It's about 90 minutes away. The, on the only MLS matches I can watch are the national games you see on ESPN, FS1, Fox, etc. And with Columbus Crew being a small market team, they are only shown on the national stage about once or twice a season unless they make the playoffs. Kartik, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think it just is, is again, goes back to everything we've talked about about MLS's TV packages, and, and we thought that uh, they would eventually dispense with MLS Live and, and give us a product which people can see more more readily and more accessibly without paying uh, hand over fist. And the uh, and they haven't done that, and the national games are pretty random, and for many people, the only times they get to see their teams. Uh, MLS is taking a strategy now to try and improve ratings by showing Seattle, Portland, Atlanta, and Orlando, and New York FC, those five teams, as much as possible, and minimizing other teams. And, and they're not really doing this based on, on who's going to be successful and who's not going to be successful on the table. I think there are a lot of Good teams like Columbus and Dallas and and others. That Colorado, uh, Colorado's not playing so well this year, but they were very good last year. That um, are not getting many television appearances, and it's just it's just par for the course. And in our featured topic of the week, we're going to talk about how USL is doing 
things, and and it's a very different approach than MLSs. Yeah, it's difficult, Carter, because I can see what MLS is doing in terms of just having these big teams on the the national TV coverage. Oh, I to- I totally can see that. But I mean, just to boost TV ratings, because we know that they're they're not doing well. So, but at the same time, even with those big teams, they're not doing uh, well in TV ratings. So, they're kind of caught caught in the catch twenty two. Um, the MLS MLS Live package, which is the streaming package, um, two years ago they announced that they were going to do away with that and have all the games available. Uh, through ESPN, uh, ESPN3.com, I believe, on a, a paid service there. Um, then they decided not to do that. And now I believe that ESPN is either a part owner or an owner of MLS Live. So it looks like in terms of business interest, that that's not going to change, that uh, MLS MLS Live is going to stick around and that's going to stay in, in the, uh, the direct kick, whether you can watch that through you mean, your local cable or satellite provider for those Saturday games. Uh, you have to subscribe to that. So I don't think I don't see things changing on on that side of things. And if um, MLS did put Columbus Games or other smaller market teams on national television, I don't know. It, it's probably it. I mean, it, it's going to actually hurt the TV numbers probably. So it's it's a tough situation to be in. It's uh, I mean, there are solutions, there are answers, but they require big changes. Um, and again, too, as we've spoken about week after week, I think MLS is still focused on expansion. And even though they were worrying about TV ratings, they're, they're not uh, focused on that quite yet. So listeners, if you do have a question for us or about anything in terms of soccer coverage on TV, online or apps or any feedback on the show or if you disagree with any of our opinions or you do want to point something out, let us know through email at web at worldsoccertalk.com, through uh, Twitter at WSoccerTalk or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, on to our featured topic of the week, and that is USL's blueprint for soccer production and how it relates to other leagues. I understand uh, you had uh, a chance to talk to uh, an executive this week uh, from USL, and um, he had a lot lot to kind of uh, put some light on what USL has been doing and uh, wanted to he- find out from you, Kartik, and to let our listeners know too, uh, some of the things you learned and some of the uh, the questions or uh, topics that come up, come to mind based on your discussion with him. Yeah, uh, USL. There's been a lot of talk and people writing into this show about USL Productions and and USL's broadcast uh, strategy, and it, it, it's quite extensive. I mean, I think the first thing to to um, to discuss is USL's decision to kind of centralize all of their broadcast uh, talent and production capabilities uh, right here in Florida, right, right around the corner from me in Fort Lauderdale, actually. Uh, USL itself is based in Tampa, but this broadcast arm of USL is based in Fort Lauderdale. And they've centralized production and they've centralized announcers, which from my perspective, as someone who's worked in the Division II soccer business in the United States, it's a brilliant idea because uh, I saw the, the amount of money broadcast and streaming and putting your games on television ended up costing NASL teams the last few years and has basically driven that league to a point where it's almost going. It's, it's very fortunate that they're in business and they're close to going out of business as a league. So USL proactively has, uh, has offset a lot of those costs for their clubs. There is a downside of this, though, which is that you lose your native kind of home announcers. And uh, Tom Veit, the uh, uh, Tom Veit, the, uh, the executive vice president of USL, and I had a conversation, and you can find the the full transcript of that conversation on 
on worldsoccertalk.com, we talked a little bit about that, uh, about a number of things. But one of the things I, I asked about were those announcers, because what we've had is some backlash among fans of local clubs that are no longer hearing an announcer they're comfortable with, an announcer they're familiar with, and in many cases, commentators that have covered their teams for years know the league, know the history of the clubs, and understand the culture around those clubs. Instead, you've got these very kind of neutral newbie announcers. They're not all newbies, but a lot of them are calling games that don't know the history of the league, don't know the history of the clubs. Uh, what I was told was that USL is working on bringing those people up to speed. They're going to keep the same announcers with the same clubs, same commentators with the same clubs, and even begin flying them out to uh, to games and, and, and getting them familiar with, with clubs by talking to the PR directors, talking to the coaches. I think that's fantastic because that is the part that's missing right now. The... Um, the actual broadcast production and universal side of the broadcasts have uh, ha- have improved dramatically, but the uh, actual commentary has not. In fact, I would say the commentary, if I'm being perfectly honest about it, I think has has gotten worse in some cases because you've got um, these clubs that have had long-term announcers that are doing games. Now, some clubs like the Tampa Bay Rowdies are actually calling their games from uh, site and then beaming uh, the the um, the uh, broadcast to uh, the production uh, the production building in Fort Lauderdale and then they send it out. So that's uh, that's the USL Productions uh, game broadcast. But there's so much more that USL is doing, which is interesting. Um, they've launched a television network and been able to get time uh, on over the air channels in uh, many of the local markets they're in, which to me is fascinating because what. Uh, came out of the discussion was that syndication and syndication of local sporting events is becoming a big thing again for local over-the-air channels. Uh, for years, they did it in the 70s and 80s, and then it gave way in a mod- to a model around the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, of regional sports networks, your Comcast sports nets in Philly and Washington, your Fox Sports Florida, Fox Sports Los Angeles, all of these channels that would then pick up those rights. Now, over-the-air channels are wanting something local and something live, and USL has tapped into that uh, ahead of the curve, and they're placing their games on local over-the-air channels, which is, uh, I, I think, absolutely brilliant and maybe a trend we're going to see in television going forward. Um, one of the things that really, to me, is interesting is the centralization of production um, allows USL to then uh, clip highlights uh, send digital pro- uh, products out of the right formats to, to different news agencies and networks across the globe. They've, they've had uh, greater success with ESPN, who is a partner of theirs uh, and, and shows games, uh, being on the Sports Center plays of the day, and also getting clips of the likes of Drogba and Joe Cole and Sean Wright Phillips and others out to uh, outlets in England. The thing that makes this very different than the MLS model is MLS. We just talked about MLS live in, in the listener mailbag. MLS live is very much dependent on local teams and local announcers. And really those kind of, uh, the production that comes from your regional sports networks and USL has decided to take a very centralized approach like the Bundesliga, like the premier league, and like some college sports conferences and and which model is better 
I tend to prefer the USL model. I think it's actually the way of the future. And I wonder at what point does MLS centralize all of that production? Although MLS produces some incredible digital content uh, and, and produces it quickly enough to where maybe they have less of a need to centralize uh, their, their content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that uh, I think probably MLS is probably keeping a close eye on in terms of how it, how it evolves. I mean, it's one of those things in terms of um, the USL strategy. It seems very long-term. It seems very uh, smart, organized in terms of kind of having more of a centralized approach and um, keeping costs down in many ways. But also at the end of the day for the TV viewer uh, or, or the digital viewer is having a consistent uh, production quality. So, in terms of the graphics that are used, uh, it's. It, I mean, look at the Bundesliga, look at uh, the Premier League, look at uh, La Liga, uh, look at these big leagues. It's the same, very similar, uh, if not the same, graphics across all of those games. So, it kind of feels that you're part of. Uh, you're watching just not a team, but you're watching the league, and the league is very organized. And with MLS, it, it is very topsy turvy in terms of. I mean, you, you could be watching. Root Sports, or you could be watching FS1 or ESPN or Univision or Unamas, or you go down the list, there's so many, so many different um, national providers, TV providers, but also, of course, regional providers that it is a very uh, different look and feel to the games, as well as the production quality. So at least from what USL is doing, it's, it sounds like it's, it's a really smart move, Kartik. And I think uh, it could be one of those things, not just MLS, but it could be other, other leagues around the world that could look at this model and go, maybe this is the way to go to, to actually to make it a better product, uh, a TV product or a digital product uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that uh, really struck me about the conversation with, uh, with, with USL was that there is a there is a five year plan. They've invested ten million already in the first uh, twelve to eighteen months of USL productions and getting the USL TV network off the ground. But there's a five year plan which involves uh, their relationship with ESPN, airing games on ESPN three and ESPN U, and I believe their championship is going to be on ESPN two this year, uh, and uh, how that partnership also. Uh, uh, gives ESPN full access to the digital content they have and has allowed ESPN FC, the website, to kind of grow their USL coverage and the USL brand. Um, all of that, I think, is great. Uh, one thing I, I, I would point out, though, is that last year, when they began two seasons ago, every USL game was available on YouTube, and it was the local teams that were required to stream it and the production at times was dodgy, was inconsistent. Now you have a consistency across the board with all every USL game mm-hmm. uh, and consistency in graphics and presentation and style. The problem was as they pulled games, began to pull games off of YouTube last season and put them on the ESPN3 and eventually on ESPNU, there were complaints from fans about accessibility. Because USL had been at a point previously where they just needed to give their product away. They needed their product to uh, to be in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Then the league grew. The league's uh, uh, footprint improved. And all of a sudden, they were in a position where their, their product had value. And they were moving games to ESPN. Uh, they admitted to me that this was a uh, this was a tough dilemma. This was a tough, tough decision to make because uh, when you look at... Um, the trade-off, um, they, they had to weigh the fact that they were cutting some accessibility in order to get games on ESPN, but that 
for the overall long-term growth of the league and long-term growth of soccer in this country and in a lot of these local markets, it's important to have games on ESPN, even just from a credibility standpoint. So, um, but that's something we talked about YouTube earlier and the accessibility of YouTube as far as highlights. That is something that leagues have to weigh is accessibility versus kind of um, credibility. It's more credible to be on ESPN. USL now has a right. robust partnership with ESPN, but uh, there are. It is a reality that less people there is less access to some USL games now than there was two years ago. That's just reality. Yeah, and, and all of these leagues talk about uh, and TV companies talk about distribution. Oh, I should let me just point out sure. one thing before you say that. I I have found though, and we're finding this with the Go Ninety situation with NWSL. Everybody complained about Go Ninety, but. Uh, Anyone who wants to really watch a USL game can find it. Anyone who really wants to watch an NWSL game can find it. So I'm I'm not as hung up on that accessibility thing as some other people. Uh, go on. Yeah, and actually about the Go90 thing, uh, just to add to that too, is I believe now it's also available on desktop. So as of the opening weekend, uh, it was mobile only. Uh, but I believe, I'm 99% sure now that uh, you can watch uh, those uh, NWSL games on smartphones and on the the Go90 um, website too. So so that's good news. But at, at the end of the day, Kartik, I think it's one of those things that TV companies and, and sports leagues always talk about distribution. But like, like you said too, a lot of it's accessibility. So having distribution, say, of La Liga on being sports is fantastic. But in terms of accessibility, not everybody has being sports and uh for those people who I mean, have a computer or a, a smartphone that can go to YouTube and they want to see the highlights and the highlights aren't there uh, on YouTube, but then you have to go to the BN Sports website, then you have to watch the ad, then you have to, you mean, there are ways of watching it legally, definitely, but uh, it definitely cuts down on the accessibility. So I can see USL's uh, kind of, I guess, uh, question that they had last season in terms of, okay, well, moving these games uh, some of these games to television is going to improve our distribution. It is going to hurt our accessibility, but you know, it's, it, it, it is a tough transition, I think, for a lot of these leagues to try to figure out, okay, what's the best system to set it up? Is it is it to have both? Is it to have accessibility uh, on the YouTube or you mean social platforms as well as the distribution on the television channels? That's going to hurt our TV numbers, so... But with everything moving to more of a digital platform anyway, as well as television, maybe that's the best long-term strategy. But yeah, it, it is complicated. One of the interesting things, Kartik, I, I did read from the, the article that you wrote on, on worldsoccertalk.com, uh, which has the transcribed the full interview. So, so definitely listeners, check it out, is uh, the example of uh, Didier Drogba uh, moving to Phoenix Rising and uh, the question that you had in terms of whether they're more international uh, news organizations asking for highlights of uh, games featuring USL teams because there's so many uh, world-famous players playing in, in uh, USL now. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that's part of their uh, their goal. Um, now, of course, uh, you have to defend where the league was before, and the league has always had some international players that at least those of us that are junkies about of English football have known guys like Lewis deal and Eddie Johnson and gifted Noel Williams have all come through, um, USL in, 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 in recent years. But, um, now they've got Joe Cole with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They've got Drogba and Sean Wright Phillips with Phoenix rising. They have a number of other English players 
that uh, are floating around at different clubs, uh, guys that have had careers in the lower divisions in England. So uh, there is an interest in, in, in their product, and, and he said that. He just uh, said, hey, there's always been an interest in our product abroad. I'm not quite sure there really was the interest, but now there is. Um, I agree with him on that. And we have a way of distributing it, and distribution is so important to us in, in order to getting uh, the the highlights, getting the content, getting the um, the, the the material out to um, to folks. And um, I think a big part of what they're going to do in the future is magazine programs and features. So he talked with me about a feature division that uh, they're, they're launching, and that's going to be part of their goal for 2018, including a magazine program, which I'm very big on. Yeah, when I too. was at their at their competing league, the NASL, I pushed, and as did others, including David Downs, our commissioner, who had a background in television, uh, don't put games on television. Let's put a magazine program on, which uh, which shows uh, the the, the personalities and, and, and the history and the teams and all of these things and build some context around the league before you throw live games on. And we had a uh, gold TV do that magazine program with the likes of our friends, Juan Arango and George Metalis, uh, Dre Cordero uh, was also on the show uh, and, and one or two others uh, also on that program. And I thought it was very successful. I thought it was something that got people at least who were just happened to be watching Gold TV. For those of you who are newer fans, Gold TV had the same distribution then, similar distribution then that BN has now, maybe slightly less. But people who just had the channel on got to see some things about NASL. And then NASL, after that, began putting games on live television, although I think their television strategy and the very kind of randomness of, of what they do and their unwillingness to kind of curb production costs and centralized productions have made them fall well behind USL, not just in terms of uh, um, the league itself, but in terms of uh, television and uh, television footprint. It's much easier, much uh, uh, much more convenient to follow USL and much more relevant to follow USL now than it is NASL, given everything that's happened. But um, I think that that's an important thing now. They've got their games on everywhere. Now USL is talking about player features, uh, things about the characters and the history in the league putting out a magazine program and just building the whole context and footprint around the league. And a good magazine program is something that MLS still needs. And yeah. maybe they can learn from what USL does uh, here in Fort Lauderdale and, and, and produce something similar. I really think that uh, so much of our views of um, different soccer leagues from around the world are shaped by the TV lens, by what we see, uh, what our perception is of that league based on what we see through television. So whether it's Premier League and we look at that and go, okay, it's one of the most exciting leagues in the world. Why is that? Well, because it's it's oftentimes the, the television angles or the, the TV replays, the close-ups, the, the zooms, etc., uh, El Clasico, as one example, I just forgot to mention this in the, the What We've Been Watching segment, but they now have, uh, we've seen this a few times this season, but they have 360-degree uh, uh, views. So you see with with replays, you see the regular replay, but uh, I think there was one of Ronaldo in the El Clasico where they went in and did a 360. Usually you see that stuff at halftime or post-patch, but they did this in games. So La Liga, the perception of that league is changing from what it was a few years ago uh, and what Serie A was a few years ago, where the TV production was was awful, really, to what it is today, where it's seen as more of a, a world class league, 
especially the games in uh, Juventus's new stadium. You look at the production quality of that. MLS, you look at Sporting Kansas City and how close the pitch is. Um, but a lot of that is from the TV perspective. Orlando, and you, you go down the list, um, it makes such a huge difference. So USL, by doing this, by investing the money in improving the technology, improving the production, centralizing this, uh, having a stronger digital unit in terms of being able to distribute a lot of these clips to Sports Center and you mean Sky News and whoever may be around the world that want to see this footage, it puts them on a really strong foundation. And uh, I think a lot of viewers that will probably tune into USL games this season uh, will probably get a maybe, again, subjectively, a better appreciation or a better understanding or a better perception of what USL is and, and where they're going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think this is part of building a, uh, a, a comprehensive and successful league in this digital age. So you need to have this sort of production capability from at the league level and the ability to offset the cost for your teams because your teams, it costs so much money to produce this content. And if you're not producing this content in this day and age, you're being ignored. So yep. it, it really is a situation where uh, leagues like USL have to act like leagues and, and take the league in this direction, which is something, again, I mean, my friends at NASL, I, I worked in that league. Uh, I worked for teams in that league and, 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 and like that league a lot. But they, they have a lot to learn in how their rival league has has gone forward with this stuff. And I think it's too maybe too late for NASL because I just don't know that they have the resources at this point to invest in the kind of product USL has. This has been a long-term commitment from USL. They made the decision to do this, I want to say, in 2015, in early 2015, and have been building to this point. And as uh, uh, as Tom V told me, they have uh, a five-year plan uh, beyond where we are now. So uh, there is the, these incremental stages of, of, of building. They've committed the resources and gotten the teams on side to get to this point, and it's just going to keep growing. So um, it's something uh, not, not just to beat up on NASL. I think it's something MLS needs to seriously consider. Yep. MLS Digital is really good, but they are, again, dependent on clubs and on cable uh, cable networks or, or you know, network uh partners of, of local clubs for a lot of the content. And um, so they uh, they uh, uh, are dependent on that. That having been said, MLS clubs are staffed much more um, aggressively in the digital uh, social media and PR world than USL clubs or NASL clubs. So sure. it, it may be, it's more of a necessity for a lower division league, but it's also something that could, I think, help MLS if they centralized all of this stuff. People will get frightened when you say that because they feel like MLS is so centralized already. This would just add another uh, layer to the behemoth that is MLS. But it just from a uh, synergy, cost effective standpoint, uh, economies of scale, it, it tends to make sense. When you start, first started talking about USL Productions, Kartik, this is going back to probably like November or December on this podcast. Um, I didn't really understand the full scale of what they were doing. And, and, and I, I know at that time you were kind of uh, saying like, they're, they're really gearing up and doing really well in terms of uh, it's going to be really exciting to see what they have uh, to offer. But based on kind of our discussion right here, but also the article um, on worldsoccertalk.com, uh, definitely got a better appreciation for uh, all the hard work and investment that they've done. So 
So hats off to you for uh, bringing this to light, because otherwise I think a lot of people wouldn't understand or wouldn't know about all, all the hard work that they've been doing in uh, getting this league uh, into more homes, whether through digital or TV uh, in the US and, and overseas. Yeah, you're right. thank you. Yeah, it's been really Jonathan Tannenwald and I that have been talking about it. That's that's about it. But that reminds us that there's so few people that cover the media beat the way we do, which is another uh, sales point for us for World Soccer Talk. <laughs> so, Kartik, where, where can listeners uh, find you on the internet if they want to hit you up and send you a message? Uh, KKFLA737 on Twitter is the easiest way. My DMs are open, so uh, feel free to message me. Okay. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And Kartik, what should they do next? Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.